With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. It is the Anfield Wrap on the week Liverpool play the European Cup final and it's the Anfield Wrap supported by Redbet. Uh, they are tailor-made for Liverpool fans and an online gaming platform which looks to seek long-lasting partnerships with supporters that enables them to share 50% of net profits generated uh, specifically for fan causes and other initiatives. Uh, we'll be talking more about Redbet across the course of this show and the week. Uh, but before then, right now we're going to be talking about Liverpool's big week, Liverpool's week of European Cup, hopefully glory. Uh, with me, I've got San Shetty and I've got Dan Morgan uh, to work through this. We may well be joined by Stu Wright later on, but marathon-based traffic as has hindered Stu's progress into the Anfield Rap studio today. Uh, good Lord, all these people getting up on a Sunday morning and running a long way through Liverpool. There's also meant to be one on in Manchester. It's obviously Marathon Sunday. Uh, they picked the day after the FA Cup final to do that. We're not going to talk much about the FA Cup final in that it was gloriously, brilliantly dull. Uh, and it was everything I wanted it to be for both sides. Uh, couldn't have asked for any more. It was almost as though I scripted it. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Mohamed Salah and the documentary that's coming up on Channel 4. That's something to come. But let's talk about the whole week and the whole season leading to this point, Sanj. What a thing to have to look forward to. It's it is something which it's a rarity even for the English side for whom it has been most common. It will be Liverpool's eighth European Cup final. And we've been luckier than every other English side in terms of set of supporters. But good lord, even for us these days don't come along all the time. It is unbelievable, isn't it? I I have to pinch myself. Can I just start by saying my wife's gonna to listen to this, Neil, and I've been told I can't use the phrase sort of. So okay. if you hear me use it, no sort of. Just, just, just waggle your finger. But back to your question. Um, I've been alive for all of the European Cups, and in fact, my love affair with Liverpool started in 1978 when Douglas scored that goal. Um, and I won't be going, but I, I know what I'm doing on Saturday. I've cleared the decks for Saturday. Um, I've told everyone in the house that if we can pull it off. And I still think it's a case of pulling it off, although I'm fully expecting on Saturday that something like what we did a few weeks ago at Anfield against Roma could happen. If we pull it off, there are riches to be told uh, for them, for my children, for my wife. Uh, and I literally will be on cloud nine for about a year. That's how it was after Istanbul. Um, um, what I would say, in my mind... I've envisaged loads of scenarios, none of which involve Real Madrid winning. Well, that's. I want to come on to that. I want to come to how we imagine it going, Dan. One of the things that I do imagine, though, and I'm, I'm pleased that Sanders just said that, uh, there's been a lot of people grumpy about the parade taking place on the Sunday, and you and me are both going to be in Kiev. Mm. And I've got to be quite honest, you know, if Liverpool pull it off, and I'm glad we're using that language as well about pulling it off, but if Liverpool do manage to, to get the other side of this, uh, Dan, with the trophy... I honestly don't care when that parade is. They could they could do it in my back garden. They could do it around New York City. I do not care. I could not care less. It it is simply, you know, getting to see it in Kiev, getting to have that 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 in front of us with the cup in Kiev will be a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And just the fact that it is now close enough that you can taste it is it's unbelievably exciting. Yeah, look, we we all know the 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 problems and the complications that have have been evident with tickets and people getting to Kiev and. 
we know that we're lucky enough to be in that stadium on Saturday night and there's, there's only a small majority who are lucky enough and there's, there's plenty of people who deserve to be there who are going to be missing out. So if and hopefully when we do win that sixth European Cup on Saturday night, to be there, to see them parade it, to see them lift it, to see Jordan Henderson lift that trophy, hopefully, um, will be something that is, you know, is at the privilege of the select few. And I therefore wish everyone a, an amazing day on the Sunday if they are able to parade it. I hope they have the best time of their lives and I will happily be sat in a bar somewhere in Copenhagen uh, lifting a Danish beer to, to every single one of them. Um, and I'll come back to this place on the Monday. And something you touched on before, Neil, just, it's just resonated with me recently. I wrote, a, I wrote a piece on the site the other week and I used the phrase, the party is in Liverpool's house. And I meant that in the footballing context, but... I kind of mean it in terms of putting this city back on the map as well. And we're very proud of this city and we want everyone who comes to this city to have the best possible time of their lives. And if this this season encourages that any more than usual, then I think it's absolutely marvellous and I think it's it's something that I think does help because I remember watching the Real Madrid Atletico Madrid final about four years ago in Madrid and it felt like it was the place to be. It felt like it was the only place to be in the world. It felt alive. And I think Liverpool would be like that next Saturday. I think, come back to you on that, Dan, the, the point that Sanj makes as well about sort of feeling it for a year, I think that's the other thing. You, it will it'll become, it makes everything golden. And I do remember in the aftermath of Istanbul, I remember, you know, the sort of, I remember being able to sing Come All Ye Faithful around Christmas time, but the adapted Liverpool version and being able to see Come and Adore, sing there, Come and Adore them, they're mm. the kings of Europe and have it be true. There is... And and you're right to touch on the city in this as well. You know, Liverpool has become a European city. We were the I read a piece, uh I can't remember who it was, it feels like it's Rory Smith, it might not have been that stated that Liverpool was the fifteenth biggest city of the size that make it made it to the last sixteen. Um and yet Liverpool is a city that very much lives, thrives, exists in a European context, both in a footballing sense and a, and not in a footballing sense. And it's also a game about history, and that's why it's it's good that we're up against we're up against Real Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the whole the whole season, the whole nine month season encapsulates this journey in a lot of ways. And and I was having a thing the other day and it starts for me with Emily Chan's goal at home to Hoffenheim. And we see that there's something possible with Liverpool in, in Europe this season. And and you know, it's 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 lovely for me to sit back and think that there's people all around Europe who've come to our city as a result of, of a game of football and there's people from Rome and Portugal and Russia and the likes who've, who've, and Spain who've all come here and we hope have all had a lovely time but more importantly, you know, have all witnessed a really, really, really good football side who deserves to be in the European Cup final and for me, that is that is the journey in all of this and, and just from a personal point of view, I remember... As recently as a couple of years ago when we played Dortmund and um, we get to the final and we lose and it felt like the Dortmund game and the Lovren goal paled a little bit into insignificance and I think that was my own selfishness in many ways in that um, and I might be just because I'm mature and myself but I'm kind of alright with the fact of whatever happens happens next week in Kiev um, and I know there'll be a lot of people who it's everything to win the game to and that's fair enough but for me just on a personal level just with how proud I am of this football team and the way they perform this season and they've got to the, the place they've got when no one expected them to really. I'm just kind of I'm I'm kind of happy to just be there and 
and to spare them on and, and to watch them give it one last go. Sanj, I think it's interesting that mentions the the, the Hoffenheim game. I think there's something that it, that it is worth pointing out that this season Hoffenheim uh, finished third in the German league. They get 30, they get 55 points. They qualified last season on merit. It wasn't as though we were we were coming up against coming up against a side who were you know who, who were there just to be whipping boys. And yet there was a point in this in this in the second leg of of that qualifier where we we find ourselves three 0 up on the night. We then find ourselves four one up on the night, two one up from the first leg. And I think I think Dan's right to say that it, even then you were able to sort of look at that side and go, "Good lord, this is a team that could go one hell of a long way in European competition." It's funny. I remember being at that game and thinking. Thinking a lot of things. The first thing was checking off the idea that they couldn't catch us on away goals because they kept scoring. But the other thing was I, I, I thought that actually, as good as they were that night, I thought they were too fast. It was almost like that. I, I sometimes liken Klopp's brand of football to Guardiola's, but on ecstasy. Um, the, the idea that they just chase everyone down. And I thought there's no way they can do this the entire season. And if anything, they're possibly faster at this stage of the season than they were then, um, but more controlled, controlled aggression. Um, there's a cockiness to their football, which is a kind of... Cockiness can be a, a quality that sometimes you can admire or sometimes you hate, but I think there's a cockiness as, as well as a... They work for everything they do. Um, and Hoffenheim was an example of what they could do, and they've been providing us examples of it ever since. Notably, I think that 50, 60 minute period against Roma uh, from when Salah scored the opener through to when Firmino scores the header and it goes 5 0. Um, and it's not now something they just occasionally do, it's something they do quite often. And I can't think of the kind of opposition in a neutral one off kind of final, I'll use kind of, not sort of, um, where where they can be stopped. And I include Real Madrid in that. I don't think they've got the tools to stop us. Hoffenheim didn't have it. Roma didn't have it. Um, I don't. Arsenal didn't have it. I don't think that they have the tools to stop us being what we want to be. And I think, like you touched on that Hoffenheim performance, I think that was the blueprint for what Jurgen Klopp sees his Liverpool side doing, perhaps occasionally with better players but certainly that kind of football. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because I think there's been so many times this season where we've come out of games of football and I remember the Hoffenheim one being the first where we've all gone, yeah, they were a bit mad. They set up a bit mad. They they, you know, they were high up the pitch or they, you know, they they play right into our hands. Whereas I'm sure if you know, if you put if you put Nagelsmann in here, if you put the the Moscow manager in this room, if you put the Porto manager, the Roma manager in this room, they they a lot of them would say, "Well, what do you want me to do?" Because there's only so much you can do in terms of preparing a plan. There's, I can only go with this one way. Whereas we, I think we've been a little bit quick to say, to lament the opposition tactics or the opposition approach. But realistically, it's been Liverpool who've, who've just blown that away within 20 minutes. I saw Rude Hullet, sorry, quickly um, do an examination what he could see the tactical shape of this game. And he outlined uh, Alexander-Arnold as a potential weak point. Uh, what... Uh, where Real Madrid could exploit and he thinks that Martello will just bomb down that side and I just thought as soon as I heard that obviously I've never achieved anything in football the way that Rude Hullet has but I just thought well if he does think that he can exploit that doesn't that leave 
all the space in the world for Mohammed Salah to exploit. And that, like you just touched on then, is the problem that every manager in Europe has. If you want to attack something that Liverpool do, we'll say, great, because we'll attack you back and better. Yeah, yeah definitely. There's, I just want to touch on that again, I just come up down that Hoffenheim game. You've got, um, you know, it's interesting now to look at the side. I'm actually going to look at the bench. On the bench, you've got Karius. Andy Robertson and James Milner and all three of them start that evening on the bench. Obviously, Van Dijk wasn't at the club at that stage. Uh, the front three was the front three and I think that's interesting as well. This was a period of time when Coutinho was out with his back injury. Uh, Emre Chan was was in, um, now isn't obviously for Milner. Alexander-Arnold started both legs of that game on the right-hand side. Moreno has dropped out and Matip now finds himself injured. Though I suspect he would have been second fiddle by this stage anyway. Mignolet out for Karius. My point more is that this is... It was always a side that was also a little bit in waiting. We talked a lot of the first half of the season and we had a lot of legitimate gripes at times. You know, the Chelsea selection, the Everton selection when the manager was rotating. They did sort of clang a little bit at the time when you were paying the money to go and watch the football matches and you wanted to see them do well. Now when you've seen the lads all sort of, you you can see the the, the growth, the evolution since the Hoffenheim game. And you can also see that now when lads are on, or have been in recent weeks a bit last legs, you can see exactly everything that was that, that he was thinking. Yeah, seeing the plan is is massive because I think if you contextualise it in terms of the hidings we got from City and Spurs, I think at that time we couldn't really see the plan. Therefore, it, it kind of made everyone a little bit more anxious about the whole enterprise, whereas now you can see the plan and now you can see how this manager operates and how this team operates. You can kind of cough for the fact that every now and again you're going to get a hiding and it might just not, it, it just might not go your way in a game. And it might not go your way, way spectacularly. And there might be other factors to that. But, you know, we can all kind of just accept that if it happens in a way and get back on the train the next day. And I think at that time, it was just a little bit of uncertainty around the whole thing. And, and look, the, the, the rotation thing has, has yielded its benefits now, especially when we've got to this stage of the season and we are, you know, down to bare bones. So... We can't have any complaints with that, and it's it, it all forms part of the evolution of this side under this manager, I think, and he's he's learning still, and I think we have to realise that you know he's he's just about to complete his third season, which isn't a third full season. He's still learning on the job here. He's still learning what is needed to get us over the line in in English football, and he's got to prepare for a ninety point season next year, and he's got to do that by learning on the job as well. So, I think this this. This football club is very unique and I think it's, in many ways, it's the best the best place to be in the world when it has hope and when it has a clear direction. And I think we're getting to that point now and I think collectively everyone is looking at the way forward. He strikes, but sorry, Neil, he strikes me as a, a manager who puts a lot of faith and trust in his players. And I think that Van Dijk sorted an awful lot of issues that he had. The reason I say faith and trust was I was at that Hoffenheim game and I remember watching Karras' warm-up. It was right in front of me at the cop end and he couldn't save anything. He literally could not save a thing. Every shot was going past him and I was thinking, because he was our number two then, I was thinking, well, he's not coming back, is he? And then you see the difference in him now. I'm not saying he's the best goalkeeper in the world, but there's a, a confidence in what he does, uh, an assuredness in the way that he approaches games, comes with balls that... We always thought he would do, and we always knew that Mignolet wouldn't. Um, and I think that faith and trust um, that Klopp has instilled in him and that Van Dyke's presence in that back four, the calmness, um, is one of the things that we didn't have 
back in uh, for that half an hour game, and now we do have. Our opponents are European royalty. Um, insofar as anybody is, you know, we like to think we are European royalty. We are, they are as well, Sanj. And they are looking to win three on the bounce. They'll be the first side to do it since Bayern in the 1970s. And I would argue that this, if they do do three at the bounce, there's question marks under their early wins in this competition for a variety of reasons. Uh, and I think they will, these players will be able to view themselves as, the, as this being the most devastating, the soundest Real Madrid era, uh, putting those early triumphs in the shade. That's what's on the line for them. It's they've got an enormous slab of history that they're trying to they're trying to nail down and and, and take home with them. They they do, um, and of course Real Madrid, most decorated side in in European football history. Some unbelievably great sides that have gone before them, um, and it would be three on the bounce, but four in or four since. 2014. Um, the one thing that strikes me the most about Real Madrid, though, is that this season, domestically, they've been overshadowed by a Barcelona side that will not be thought of as a great side. They've just won the league and they've just won that their domestic gap. And there's a reason why this Real Madrid side has now become a cup side is because there isn't the depth of quality that there was perhaps two years ago. Um, so, yes, the achievement, it's its tangible, obviously, because they've won the two, and the only thing that stands in front of them, in, in terms of the way they look at this game, is Liverpool side, who's finished, what, uh, 25 points behind the, the league champions. But I don't think they'll approach this game with perhaps the confidence they might have done against an ageing Juventus side last season who they knew they'd get past the first 25 minutes of low blocking. Perhaps that game was always going to be theirs. And likewise against Atletico uh, back in 2016, that wasn't an Atletico side that you would fear in terms of what they could do to you. That was a, a team that would stop you from playing. Um, I think they will fear this Liverpool side and the way that they could get exposed by a team that's been put together in comparison, uh, on the cheap side. It strikes me that the the crop of players remains relatively unchanged, uh, Dan. There's, 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 there's a couple of, of come and gone since 2014, obviously thinking about lads like Di Maria and Contrao, uh, players who've moved on there. But the you know you look at the team that they played last night, which I think will be the, 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 the team they played against Villarreal, and I think that you've probably got something there that's that's pretty close to the side that'll start the final, with the exception of the goalkeeper. Uh, just to run through that for everyone, um, the side that they put out there, as I say, the goalkeeper was was Zidane's son. Uh, we obviously know that it will be uh, Naves for the final, uh, but they had in there Marcelo left back, Ramos, Varane, Caraval, Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, Isco, uh, Ronaldo, and Bale playing together as a front two. I mean, that'll be pretty close to the side that we come up against and that these are lads who've, who've now been round the block for them yeah I looked at the side um, this morning I thought for the seconds Zidane had gone and goal <laughs> <laughs> like a Sunday league set up yeah. <laughs> not enough lads to turn up so the manager has to go and goal one of them um, if you look at them I mean you're right in saying that they've, they've been together a long time um, average age I'd say the squad is about 30 um, which in terms in the context of this game will be will be of benefit and to them um, but, but also to us and I think where where Liverpool benefit is that I wonder whether 
a little bit of complacency might creep in with Madrid in the fact that they've, you know, they've, they're on for the third successive European Cup final. And look, they'll be motivated to win a European Cup. The professional footballers and they live for those types of, you know, elite accolades. However, there's just something about there's just something about Liverpool in this competition as well, where you know we see these opportunities and and we we thrive on any kind of complacency in that sense. And and in a way, it kind of goes back to the whole Gattuso touching the cup kind of thing, where you felt Milan just. Just came into that game thinking that they were going to be 3 0 up at half time. And I wonder whether there's a slight arrogance about Madrid that they, they might they might underestimate Liverpool in some ways, or they might just underestimate the occasion because they've been there that that frequently. Saying that, you know, on, on the adverse side of that, the, the benefit for them of going to three European Cup finals on the spin and being European royalty is they know how to win. And they, they, they very much know how to just find a way in games. and Players like Ronaldo knows how to win a European Cup almost single-handedly. Um, so we have to prepare for all that. And we know the minute we're playing Real Madrid, it comes with it comes with the name. All of that stuff kind of comes with the name of who you're coming up against. So I think I think it's just interesting to see. You mentioned the first 20, 25 minutes. I think that'll be really, really, really important into how the game plays out. I think there's, for me... One of the things I almost want to know is the, the internal, and when I say internal, I mean the whole body politic, Real Madrid attitude towards this game, Sancho. I don't think we're going to get a proper flavour of it until we get in during the week. In that, is this a Real Madrid side who are going to be told by their supporters, told by their supporter media, which is a huge corporate uh, facet of the Real Madrid experience, that it almost isn't enough just to beat Liverpool. You've got to outplay them. Or... Are they going to be, you know, told? Listen, any wins a win, and and how much those, you know, I, I feel as though Madrid are vulnerable to those sorts of messages. Always have been that there's an expectation there that there's a constant story being told about what Real Madrid is because, you know, I almost want Real Madrid to be talking about this like it should be a cakewalk, like they should be able to come and play their football. What I don't want, what I don't want Real Madrid to do, is sit deep, is to sit deep and just say, right, we're going to just mooch our way through this game and we're going to find a way to win a 2-0. I want, I want Real Madrid to come in at this thinking, we've been told we should be playing these off the park, so let's play them off the park. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the, the whispers, or not even whispers, the, the media battle that's already been played out about them wanting Mohamed Salah to be part of their team. Um, and it's just the idea that they, they can just go and dip their hands in their pockets and just bring Salah over to uh, the Bonabeo, um because it's not a big deal. I think they, they are, certainly when they're looking to get their papers on side, I think they're underestimating Liverpool and look at Liverpool as one of those small teams in England that's just come up a little bit over the last two or three years. And I think you're right now. I think it would be lovely to think they are underestimating us. And... The fact that there's been no football in England for a week, whereas they've just played their final game of the season in La Liga, means that they definitely, certainly for the, the image they're giving us is that Liverpool's not really something that they're, they're too worried about. If you look at it, they've beaten Juventus, the Italian champions last year in the European Cup final. They beat Atletico, their fierce local rivals back in 2016. And this time they played the side that's finished fourth um, in the English league and hasn't won a trophy since 2012 of any note and certainly Istanbul is now 13 years ago so I don't think they're that concerned with Liverpool and 
in their mind, they're thinking, well, maybe Salah will have a good game and we'll buy him afterwards. And that's a wonderful way for a Liverpool fan to think that's the way, the way Real Madrid are treating us. It is, but the converse of that is there's a bit of justification. I mean, I'm looking at Cristiano Ronaldo, who scored in 21 appearances uh, in 2018 and scored 28 goals. I'm talking about Gareth Bale, who's now got five and four since he's come back to fitness. It was interesting that they were the two that were paired up front against Villarreal. It was interesting to watch the game. It did remind me a little bit, not not particularly in style of play, but in the style of which they go about the business. It did remind me a little bit of, um, of, of, of Suarez and Sturridge in that it's not like a proper front two. It's two footballers. Uh, who were both looking to bang them in uh, and who were both getting fed in different ways with different wants and needs by the, the teammates around them, you know, but they're able to look at that and feel as though in the same way that I think we feel we're good for two goals. I think they're able to come into this feeling like we'll be good for two goals in this. Yeah. And look, I, I'm not underestimating <laughs> two of the most expensive players that have ever played football. Uh, and certainly Cristiano Ronaldo, who is one of the best five players that's ever played the game. But, I think the notion that they're going to play that they could play a front two against us next Saturday hints at the fact that he's prepared Zidane is prepared or whoever in his coaching staff is prepared to make decisive changes for the threat of Liverpool because they're not unaware of Liverpool that they are aware and I do think that when a football team makes massive changes for the biggest game of the season that's when you have to start smelling blood because I don't think you're going to see Jurgen Klopp play a front two as opposed to the front three he's been playing since Christmas. He'll back his lads and he'll make little tweaks in the midfield, maybe a case of... We firmly expect that it's going to be Milner and Henderson sitting and Wijnaldum as the man who makes those spare man runs. And I think that's what they'll go with. But maybe there'll be little tweaks to say to say him, Henderson and Milner, look, you move to the left, you move to the right because they're going to be dangerous here. And I think as long as we just tweak and they make massive changes, that's really going to be a big benefit for us. OK, uh, we're going to talk about our lads and our approach in a minute or two before then. Uh, on Channel 4 on Tuesday night at 10 o'clock, there is the first ever in-depth uh, documentary on Mo Salah. It's called Mo Salah, a footballing fairy tale. And I spoke to the uh, the, the producer of this, Tony Pasta, uh, on Friday, I think it was. Uh, we had a lovely chat uh, and here it is. Yep, made up to speak to Tony Pasta, who's produced this film that's going out on Tuesday about uh, Mo Salah. Uh, so it's Tuesday on Channel 4. Let's get all the information out first. Mo Salah, a footballing fairy tale. And it's got all the top-tier interviews in. Steve Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Gary Lineker. It's doing all the business. But what gets my attention with this stuff, Tony, is the work you've done sort of behind-the-scenes visit, not just asking ex-players how good he is. We can all see his brilliance. But, you know, meeting the people who've known him in his earliest years. I mean, going to Egypt, having those conversations, that must have been fascinating. Yeah, we've uh, we've done quite a bit of filming in Egypt. We actually used um, Egyptian producers because, uh, frankly, it was really challenging trying to get British guy over to Egypt at short notice. This commission, by the way, was very short notice. What happened was um, Ian Caps, the uh, new new controller of Channel Four, uh, got in touch with us straight after Liverpool's um, first leg against Rome. And was really keen to really keen to do this. So wow. we, um, we we waited until the second leg because obviously it only really worked if if the team made it all the way to Kiev. So um, it was a very late commission, as I say, and we've since jumped into action and uh, hoovered up an absolute host of interviews and uh, mined nine archives. And as you say, um, got 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 camera crews into 
his village in Egypt and also the first club he played for over there um, and uh, spoken to a lot of people who know him very well. I mean, it's you know just just to give people your background, you've uh, you've worked on a documentary on, on Anthony Joshua most recently. There's being Kevin Peterson, there's the Hand of God, Rooney, the man behind the goals, uh, Keane and Vieira, best of enemies. That was a particularly strong one. This is a you know they've come to you for a reason. It's it's your background in this, but that 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 speed of turnaround is is phenomenal. To be quite honest with you, I'm absolutely stunned. It was it was Roma Roma first leg slash Roma second leg, and and, and you're getting it on the telly yeah. on Tuesday. You must be how much sleep have you had? Well, um, yeah, exactly. I'm not massively popular at home at the moment, but it's um, <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's an unusual one. It's normally, you know, when we 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 filmed the first documentary we did with Anthony Joshua, which is called The Road to Klitschko, which went out just before the fight at Wembley a year ago. Um, we spent two years filming that. We started filming after his seventh pro fight and uh, and did it as a bit of a gamble, just because we really believed he was going to make it. Um, so this is the absolute contrast, you know, basically a fortnight to make an hour's documentary. But what we've done is we've pulled together all of the, um, all of the guys and girls that we work with on a regular basis, split all the jobs up, you know, and, and basically run around the country and spoken to everybody, filmed everything. We went to, we know we managed to, what we did was, although we weren't sure we'd get commissioned, channel four said to us, why don't you take a little bit of money off us now? film in Rome for the second leg and have the pictures, uh, you know, hoping, of course, that Liverpool get through, which we were reasonably confident given the score from the first leg. So we actually had a camera pitch side in Rome right in front of the Liverpool fans. Um, and we were able to, you know, shoot ISO images just, just of Mo that night. Yeah. Uh, and also speak to some of the fans, speak to some of the journalists who travelled out to, uh, to John Rome. So we the kind of got rap. up and running. We did. Has we did he made indeed. the final court? He has made the final call. Has he? Oh, He's I'm gutted. I'm gutted. Call. I wanted you to tell me he hasn't, and I'm going to go upstairs now and go, there. No, they've dropped you, mate. <laughs> Cotton room floor job. I'm sorry to disappoint you. He's made the call. And so, and so was Simon Hughes, the, uh, oh. who I believe also contributes regularly Yeah, yeah, guys. he's got a lot of hair. It must have been difficult for you he to shoot. Got, yeah, he's got terrific hair. That's phenomenal hair. Yeah, we saw him at the Football Writers Awards, and, uh, and there was, there was a, uh, we spoke to quite a few of the guys, so people like... Henry Winter, of course, uh, and Ian Herbert, the kind of guys based up in the northwest yeah. who cover the t- cover the club a lot. They feature in it too. It's, I mean, it is. It's interesting you say in a football and fairy tale. It's, it strikes me that you know there's that one of the things about a lot of this Liverpool squad, actually not just Mo, but this obviously focuses on Mo, is that they've had both highs and lows in a career. I always feel stories that don't have lows. You know, it's. I'm sure that all the time you get stuff pitched to as a documentary maker, and sometimes you must think we sort of need to see a bit of struggle. We need to see the bit where it didn't go as well for them as we'd like and tell the story of that return from adversity. That period at Chelsea's, you know, all the goals he scored this season have been phenomenal, but to battle back and, and prove himself in this league from that period at Chelsea where it looked like it just wasn't going to go right for him, it does. It speaks a lot about his character. Yeah, it does. And what's actually quite revealing in, uh, in some of the stuff we shot is um, the, the, we did an interview with Frank Lampard, who, of course, was actually at the club at the same time as Mo. Yeah. And he says that um, he says that basically he feels that the, the big characters at Chelsea at that time were just too dominant. Mo was a little bit quiet. He was still young, of course. Mm. And dealing with the kind of characters in that dressing room at Chelsea was probably a bit too much for him. But he also says that it's to Mo's great credit that he could have just stayed at Chelsea, not really playing, picking up his salary, but he didn't. He chose not to do that. Both him and Kevin De Bruyne took the, took the decision that they were going to leave because they wanted to play. And so he's, uh, he's, he's really very respectful of Mo's decision. 
Um, it also strikes me that there's, you know, you've got you've got you've got Stephen in there as well, and Stephen obviously will have seen him around Anfield on top of everything else. Uh, you know, he's having having worked at the club this year, and Stephen himself very much a, a man a man for a dressing room, a man who understands a dressing room, and it, he'll be able to have seen that growth in him as well. Yeah, and actually, Stephen says something really interesting, which is that although many people uh, initially saw the signing for that amount of money by Liverpool as being something of a gamble. Stephen says that the recruitment department at Liverpool didn't feel it was a gamble. He's quite clear about that. He's obviously spoken to the people in the know. They knew what they were getting. And whether, you know, whether they thought he was going to get 40 plus goals is another matter, but they didn't feel it was a gamble in, internally at the club. That's absolutely fascinating. So this goes out on Tuesday. Uh, it's 10pm. Is there anything else that people should be looking out for on it, Tony? Anything in particular that you think is going to really grab people's attention? Because I know, you, well, I know you're literally a- editing it right now. <laughs> We're literally editing it right now, absolutely. But um, no, there's a couple of there's a couple of interesting things. One is that uh, you know, unusually, UEFA were very supportive of this, even though it's not on a UEFA channel, not on BT Sport. So they've allowed us to use extensive UEFA footage. So there is oh. plenty of there are plenty of goals in there. It's not dry. There's a lot of action. There's there's about twelve or thirteen minutes worth of his of his best stuff, both for Liverpool and of course for. Fiorentina, Roma, and a bit for Basel. So you'll see his journey as a footballer yeah. on the pitch as well as off. There's plenty of action. Um, just uh, just on that, why do you think they were particularly helpful on this? I've got a bit of a thing at the minute, a bit of a, th- a feeling that there's, there is this sort of... Gen- firstly, I think because because the man himself does seem like like such a genuine sort of nice person that that becomes something that people feel as though they can... If I say market, it makes it sound too cynical, but people do want to sort of tell a story and be involved in it. Tony, I think that's re- a really interesting thing that often, you know, elite athletes, they don't always make friends all the time and there can be some people who, who can be a bit, a bit, you know, can they can put some noses out of joint, but there does seem to be a bit of a general push at the minute to, to tell his story, to feature him, to involve him. It might, might be because Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are at the end of their careers. It might be, it could feature into the, the, the questions around his faith, the way in which he articulates that. I just think it's a really interesting thing that people do want to help as much as possible. I think indisputably he's seen as a role model and a, you know an icon and potentially, as you say, with Messi and Ronaldo at the latter end of their careers, he could be the next one. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that. I think there's also a case with UEFA that they are conscious that their that their uh, you know their tournament's coming to its head. They want as much publicity ahead of the yeah. big game in Kiev as they can get. Free to air is always appealing. Um, you know, getting a good audience to this, uh, and of course, you know, they want to make sure that as many viewers next week are, are, are following Liverpool's story, but also Mo Salah's story. And so, I think they see this as a really good and opportune moment to have an hour's an hour's telly about this man. As someone who's, who's someone who works in the industry, as you do, it is, and I, you know, I've, I've sort of been picking this up, and it's come, it's come more and more to my attention. I'd say, I think the last three weeks around the time of the Roma game, it does strike me as. We all understand why, and we understand why money makes football go round and all of that sort of stuff. But it does strike me that this is—it is a tiny little bit of a shame that a lot of this Liverpool run hasn't actually been on free-to-air television. I think of you know 05 through to 20, 2012 and and all of that sort of stuff. And and it isn't to decry the money or go down that route. But it is a little bit of a shame, isn't it, that those football supporters who do casually watch 10 games a season maybe just maybe haven't had sort of six or seven of those games be Liverpool and Mo Salah this year. Yeah, I you know I take your point entirely, and it is a shame. But I, but I, what I would say is, uh, you know, 
I don't work for BT Sports, um, but you know, I, I, I watch it because I, I love the Champions League. We've worked on it for ITV for for a decade and more. Uh, I do think I do think BC have done a really good job of it. I mean, their yeah. their you know their their, their lineup, their presentation has been excellent. Yeah, they've been really committed to it. So look, I do I, I take your point, but I think um, I think I have to you know you have to give them credit for uh, oh, doing a very good doing job. as good a job as they've done. They're doing a very good job indeed. There's no doubt about that. And, and you know, the lineup is terrific all the time. Uh, right then. So this is this is going out on Tuesday. Uh, it is on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Mo Salah, a footballing fairy tale. One for all Liverpool supporters to watch. Who's man of the match? Not John Gibbons. Go on. Have you contributed? Who's man of the match? Who stands out? <laughs> Who stands out? A lot of people stand out, actually. Rushing straight value. Uh, we've got a lot of your old boys. We've got uh, we've got John Aldridge. We've got uh, Ian Rush. We spoke to Stephen McManaman, Stephen Gerrard. They're all they're all really interesting. Some, uh, actually, funny enough, there's a couple of other little quirky ones. Um, there's John Bishop, who's a, who also appears, and uh, and the whole thing's going to be voiced by Paul Hollywood, as in the Great British Bake Off, but also a uh, definite uh, red. Excellent stuff. Well, we will all look forward to it. Tuesday, ten o'clock, Channel Four. No messing about. Get it watched. The absolute business there from Tony. Do watch it if you have if you have the opportunity on Tuesday evening on Channel Four. Mo Salah, a footballing fairy tale, uh, and it's got John Gibbons in. You know what I mean? If you, if Mo if Mo himself wasn't enough, the guarantee of Gibbons on national television uh, should be enough to get you going. Uh, and also uh, mentioned before our Red's pet friends, they've got specials out knocking all over the place, salivating Mo Salah to score on Liverpool to win two one three one or three two in normal time. Uh, if you are going to have uh, if you are going to bet on the European Cup final, please do think about doing so with Red's bet. If you're not don't worry about it at all um, just make your own decisions on that one uh, but please do be gamble aware uh, be gamble for all of that sort of stuff and thanks again to Tony I'm back in the room now with Sanj with Dan and with Stu Wright and Stu Sanj was saying before we, we we shot over to find out about the most seller documentary and in general sort of begin to have a chat about our footballers and our approach to this he doesn't expect Jurgen Klopp to do much different much special for this Real Madrid game. For me, it's striking that Real are playing via Real and they're playing effectively four centre mids, looking to keep compact, probably thinking we always need to have another ball, we always need to have another man. Uh, that's what I think they're thinking. I think if that's the case, we'll just think, well, we'll just drop Marnie 10 for a bit and see if that sorts it out. Yeah, I think the midfield's going to be key. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any there's any reason why we should. Uh, there's no logic to why we should try and change pretty much anything. Of our patterns of play, what we what we what's worked for us all season, but um, I think our pressing game it, it's going to be tested. I think when you're pressing midfielders who have a, a fantastic first touch, who have who can play fantastic quick one touch football, and their midfield can. Um, and if they try and overload us on there, that might be a successful way home for them. I can I can understand the the, the rationale there from Zidane, um, and I think we also saw. I mean, very different teams, very different different style of football, very different game. But in, in the game against Chelsea recently, uh, you know, Conte was wanting to put one extra in midfield, and it and it, it did cause us some problems initially. And we did see Mane dropping off a little bit more. Mane has very much become a a quasi left-sided number 10, number 8, whatever you want to call it, really, uh, over the last few months. Um, th- and that, that, that could that could help us. That could, you know, maybe maybe counter that little game plan by Madrid. But um, 
at the same time, Madrid do play a high line and I really want to see Salah and Mane as much as possible stretching that, testing that, giving giving the, the full-back something to think about all the time, giving the centre-halves the fear all the time that they're going to be exposed by their inverted runs. Um, so as much as I can see the logic in Mane dropping off and needing to at times to to uh, to counter that uh, potential overload in midfield from Madrid and and that, that slick one such footballer players like Modric and Cruz can, can, can bring to the table. Um, I ultimately think the best the best tactical plan for us really is to just terrify them, is to make them live in fear the entire game. There's, Dan, you can talk yourself into every battle being a key battle. I've mentioned Mane there and the way their midfield four is going to work. I think you can just as easily, and I think we were saying this before the game against against Manchester City and it was noticeable Guardiola's solution for, for what I'm about to say was to sit De Bruyne really really deep but before that game I was thinking you know it's very much Firmino up against Fernandinho could well be a massive thing here and if Madrid do go with Casemiro you do think it could well be Firmino against another of his countrymen uh, Casemiro that could be could be a massive one in terms of basically saying you think you're going to outnumber us in here, you're not. I'm occupying you. You're not getting a minute's piece and simultaneously both your centre-halves aren't getting a minute's piece either. I am doing that thing he does where he manages to put a triangle of footballers under enormous pressure. Yeah, I think that's when he's at his best for me now a lot of the time and I think I think from a, a Madrid viewpoint, I think it's interesting if you look at both semi-finals against Bayern because in the first game, Bayern constantly getting wide with Kimmich and he's constantly getting in down that right and then the second game, Madrid go ahead in it, and you know they don't have to attack. But Bayern still find themselves on three on threes and three on twos, and and I just wonder, like Schuster says with their high line, how they approach it. They'll definitely try and condense space, and I think if they get ahead in the game, that's when they might just drop ten yards. But if if they're chasing the game, then then you'll see Carvajal, Marcelo become the auxiliary wingers that we know they can be. Um, and they'll try and get in behind us. I think. I think from a Liverpool point of view, Neil. I think it's. I think, in many ways, like we've done all season, the manager sets us up for a, a seventy-five minute game. He says to the players in the dressing room, "Look, I need everything possible for you to go and blow these away in seventy-five minutes, and I'll deal with the final 15. Um And I say that for a couple of reasons. I think. I think Madrid's ability to close a game out is a situation we don't want to be in with fifteen to go. If they're ahead in the game. Even if there's a goal in it, the, the way they dog the game out in 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 various ways and in, in various snide tactically ways is 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 something that doesn't end well usually for any team when Madrid have got a foothold. Um, but also, I, th- I think the fast start from us is key, and I think that if we can if we can get that foothold, that one or two goal lead in the game, then I, I think I, I back the manager in a game like that to, to do the right things at the right times and look going three at the back at the times hasn't worked this season especially from a substitution point of view but I think in that game in that context that amount of concentration is what I'm alluding to I think it could it could work in our favour there's the break that we've had Sanj and I think that that's you know it's an opportunity to mend some legs where needed and it might be needed in more places than we think for instance Milner not starting uh, the final game of the season against Brighton suggests that you know and not even being on the bench suggests that a decision was made there which is we're patching you up um, so there is that for me the mild question is that one of rhythm he talks a lot about rhythm and we've seen Liverpool at times come back from international breaks come back from breaks full stop you know January was a bit weird of certain games having 10 days 7 days 8 days between them this is now 
14 days rhythm is a is a question because if you're going to start fast as Dan says if you're going to put that energy into those early st- early stretches you need to be playing in a certain way yeah a, a colleague of mine at the BBC said that and he's not a Liverpool fan he said that one of the things he would advise would be for Klopp to arrange a a fairly heated warm-up game um, in the seven days before the behind final. closed doors yeah yeah behind closed doors um but this is not um this, this is different from say for instance the Europa League final uh, back in 2016 when we basically had a 45 minute game um in our legs and and we could now say that after 45 minutes we were just spent we were we were as we like to say on the podcast goosed um so I think yes he wants rhythm but he also wants to make sure that those legs are as fresh as they can be for that final. Um, I think virtually all managers say that this stage of the season, especially with the World Cup, literally, what, two or three weeks after this game, um, all players have knocks. No one's fresh. Um, But the two weeks, I think, has given them a chance to be as fresh as they can be at this stage of the season. And I think that after maybe 10 minutes, and usually I think... I still don't think we've overcome the essential slow starting nature to the way we play. I still think once we get going, we're phenomenal for 45, 50 minutes. So I think the rhythm will come in, but perhaps not straight away. I, I think the preparation's key here, just building on that, and also something uh, something Dan said before, um, just the notion of, of if Madrid get a lead. Um, and... I think I'm most nervous about the first 20. The first 20, I've seen Liverpool um, evolve over the past 18 months into a team that that, that often um, doesn't necessarily burn brightest in the first 20 and, and kind of like feels its way into a game, sushes the opposition out. Um, and I don't, I actually don't really want to do that in this game. I, I'm not sure it'd be the right move because um, Madrid are a, a team, I think... <sighs> In some ways, similar to us in terms of they can be very clinical. Um, the the threat is is all front loaded. I feel, and um, if they if they have a bright first twenty, if we if we're a bit slow starters, we're a bit hesitant. If we're maybe a little bit overawed by the occasion, you know, let's not forget the Madrid players have been here and seen it and done it, uh, whereas our lads haven't. If we're feeling our way in, if if. Uh, the occasion gets to any of us in, in the first 10-20, then it, it could be it could be a difficult, uh, a long road back, really. Um, so as much as I want the lads rested, as much as I want the lads um, to make sure they've got energy in the legs for the second half and, and learn from the, the Europa League final a couple of years ago, at the same time, I really want them coming out the traps. I really, really want them from the first whistle flying out at Madrid. Um and then and let's just see where we go from there. It's noticeable. I remember watching last year's last year's final, Stu, uh, Juventus Real Madrid, at the Millennium Stadium, and Madrid score on twenty. But before that point, I thought, hang on, this is Juventus look all right here, man. Mm. Madrid, I I can't work out if Madrid were ropers open them a little bit, uh, which is I think what's something that we've done a bit. You know, to be honest with you, I can't work out if Madrid were doing that and just sort of saying let's let them let's let them play themselves out a little bit. Let's find out where the, where the holes are and then they score. And then yes, Juventus get one back, but then you know second half they turn the screw. Um, you know I think you can. It's you know um the team is there's every chance you, that Madrid start with literally the same eleven. 
uh, that played against uh, Juventus, just to, just to again let people know. It was Navas in goal, Caraval right back, Ramos Varane, Marcelo, Casemiro, Cruz, Modric, Isco, Ronaldo and Benzema with Bale coming on. It could be the other way around with Benzema and Bale, but you'd expect that 10. And I'm, you know, I'm intrigued here as to whether or not they, they might actually say, you know, we're going to sit. We're just going to have a little look at you. And if they do do that, then there is an onus on us. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, it doesn't feel very Real Madrid to do that. Um, and I wonder whether the the first 20 against Juventus wasn't really by design, the one that you're referencing there. Um, but out of all the the potential finalists, you know, when it was coming down to the, the last eight and the last four, out of all the potential finalists, despite the fact that they're not the strongest or even the second strongest team within their own league. Madrid were the team that I really didn't want out of anyone in the final. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm really excited and looking forward to it now and you know, bring them on. But at the same time, they were the team that I thought, I just don't know where I am with them. Because you, you do see them in games like the Bayern Munich one recently where you think buying it on top here it's just a matter of time but but Real are just so so clinical the the players that they've got up top they're, they're not only superstars and, and they are where they are in the game because of, of what they've done but they've got a big, big game mentality they're now lose. you're looking at Bale coming back into form now Benzema again being there done it um, and I just I I think I probably didn't want them because I just thought, I'm not sure, my, my nerves, my heart can take it. Um, I think that's that's where I am with it. Whereas any of the other teams, I felt like, it had been Barcelona, Bayern Munich, I'd have felt comfortable and very confident going into it. That, you know, whatever happens, <coughs> happens. But I feel that on our day, we can take these. Um, with Madrid... <coughs> I've got. I've just got literally no idea because if their front three turn up and our front three turn up, get yourselves ready for another three three. I don't know whether they've got the legs to do what we can do, um, and I'm I'm kind of the opinion that the first twenty minutes is going to be similar to a boxing match where both both fighters just stay behind the jab and have a little look at each other, and I just wonder whether. Oh, I just I just wonder whether there's there's a a situation where Real Madrid find themselves really exploited and and in a case of whether to stick or twist and they don't know what to do. Um, because I think that, look, fundamentally, we're the best counter-attacking side in Europe and we're probably the best attacking side in Europe. So I think that if we take one of our first two chances in the game and we go ahead, then I think that they're suddenly in a position where they go, what do we do here? Because there's every chance these get another two in 20 minutes and... There's even more of a chance if we start pushing up the pitch. So I, I don't. My thing with all week, the only thing I hope from their their camp all week is that I hope Bale gets a knock because he's he's the one who worries me more than anyone. He's their only outlet pace wise, and, and I know Neil's made a really good point before in terms of how him and Ronaldo play, very individual. Um, but I think he's the only one who can stretch us, and he's the only one who worries me in that sense. So I, I wonder how they approach it in terms of. I just wonder what their 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 setup is for scoring a goal. I think in many ways there's a possibility that they say, well, look, we'll get ourselves with the pitch and then we'll look for anything we can in terms of buying free kicks, maybe buying a penalty, just getting getting in the pool's box that way and then trying to keep the ball in that half. I, I just think that the, the whole Juventus thing um, from last season and, and the types of sides they've come up against this season and age and buying side... I don't think they've come up against anyone like us. I don't think anyone has, and I alluded to this at the start of the show. 
And I think it plays in our favour massively. I, I might be overconfident with this, but it's not worrying me as much as I thought it would be in terms of the opposition. I, something yeah. you just, oh, sorry, Sancho, just something you just said there, Dan, about um, them you know, looking for to, pick, to get bookings look, uh, and looking to you know maybe get a penalty and all that. I'm expecting that. Yeah, I'm expecting massively. Them, them massively to lean on, on their their name. Yeah, I'm expecting them massively to be pressurising the referee. I'm expecting histrionics. I'm expecting the fact that that. Um, our pressing game, I think Liverpool have got to be canny with it in the midfield areas um, because I think the slightest knocks and they'll be trying to press home any advantage that they can get. And the idea of trying to get one of our lads sent, that'll, you know, that's that's, exa- that, that's just the perfect way home for them, I think. I was going to say that um, I'm a big fan of boxing and I think back to when Mike Tyson was ruling the roost in their weight division. And they used to say that everyone had their own tactical technique as to how they were going to stop him from doing what he did. But it was one thing to have an idea of what you're going to do. It was another thing being able to impose yourself. And I think that everyone seems to think they've got an idea about how to stop us. And like you were saying earlier, Dan, about all these coaches that have gone against us, the guy at Roma, um, uh, the guy at Porto, and even Guardiola to a certain degree, who still can't work out how to stop Liverpool if we've got 11 men on the pitch. Going back to that game at the Etihad um, back in, I think it was August or September. And I, I, I just think that Zidane won't know anything about a Liverpool side. The, the closest that Real Madrid have come to facing a team that plays like Liverpool is Spurs this season in the Champions League. And it was 0-0 and 3-1, was it, to Spurs? And that's that. What that's what gives me so much comfort. And there's no team in La Liga that plays the way Liverpool do. Mm. Um, and we are going to be a surprise to them. I know I'm coming across as being ridiculously positive, so I'll have egg on my face when it all goes wrong next Saturday. But I don't worry about them being able to turn us over because they have a superior, more energetic midfield um, with two up top that map might actually play into our hands because that means, yes, they'll have more bodies in midfield, but they'll be confused because you've got in Modric and Cruz, two guys who are past their best and won't know what runs to make when they've got two other midfielders either side of them. So I'm just not as concerned about that as perhaps I should be. What worries me the most, and you just touched on it then, is the dark arts and whether that referee who apparently was the worst referee of the 2014 World Cup. Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, I read that this week but then equally I think Colleen has described him as the best referee going well, uh, now so what worries me and the dark arts are part of it what worries me is that more than say Manchester City more than Porto were able to and a little bit like what you saw Roma doing if I was setting up if I was Real Madrid Stu and I was setting up I'd be looking at the second half at Rome, Roma-Liverpool that's the game I'd be looking at and I'd be going hang on that's what they did they just made it bitty they made it awkward they went two big lads up front, won the headers. If they didn't win the headers, it was fine because what are Liverpool going to do? We're going to crowd them out in the middle of the park and we're just going to we're going to try to stop that break on the one hand, but we're also going to try to we're going to just try to ensure that we're, we're looking to turn you around. And I for me it's all the question there's two questions. One is can Liverpool make sure they're psychologically right on the day in terms of not being overawed by the occasion, being angry, which is what the manager's talking about at the minute, on the one hand, and on the other hand, can Real 
finds a way to be sufficiently pragmatic against this Liverpool side. When I, I keep saying it, there's going to be the, the thought from, from their supporters they, they should be winning this with style, with panache. The best way Real Madrid win this game is not with... The way Real Madrid are most likely to win this game is if they don't play with style and if they don't play with panache. I think if Real Madrid play with, we just get through the other side of this and we've lifted the cup. And that's where I'm looking at their record in these finals, the, 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 the ones that have been in recently and going... I think they've got that in them. I think they've been they've been really poor uh, at some of these some of these wins, and they've ended up with a nice little result. You know, the four one after extra time against Atletico, the one one against Atletico on pens. These were, you know, yes, they get to score four last season against Juve, but they were outclassed first half. And that's what worries me. What worries me is whether it's through the referee, through the dark arts, through sitting deep, through just taking your chances. What worries me isn't getting played off the park by them. What worries me is that they just grit their teeth and go, right, this is the horrible way we're going to do this. The experience we've been talking about, isn't it? You know, um, they're not, you know, the, the Barcelona era was, was defined by a certain... You know, style of play, the rotation, the constant rotation in midfield, the misuse by, by people of the, the phrase tiki taka, by the way, but but also, um, you know, that that focus on complete domination of the ball, um, and that philosophy, I mean, that, that was a, a real pure philosophy, led them to, through that era. The Madrid one, I don't think, is defined in the same way. The Madrid era is. Certainly, in my lifetime, have largely been defined by, um, uh, you know, superstar players, uh, individuals who, um, who can, who are big game players who know who, who know how to win, who find a way to win. Um, they can have fantastic performances, but they can also they've also been prepared over the years to really dog it. Uh, with the dark arts against the Barcelona. I mean, I remember Mourinho's Madrid. It might not have been loved by the Madrid's um, by the Madrid fans, but I remember you know a very very uh, conscious effort to kick Barcelona out the game and everyone rotating in the Madrid team on you know he was going to get booked basically. Um, so that's not something that I don't think any manager could have ever done at Barcelona and lasted the week. You know, uh, so I think uh, I think with, with Madrid they are prepared to do what needs to be done. Ultimately, though, it's. It's down to whether they can. And when what Sanj was saying before about, um, and I totally agree with this, they've never faced anyone like us this season. There's no one like us in their league. However, for the for Zidane, for his coaching staff, there's no real surprises in, in, in football now, is there? There's no real surprises. So I think I think his coaching staff and, uh, and his tactical side will have been as well prepared as possible for this. They'll have been studying Liverpool's games um, over the last few months and I think the surprise will come and this is what I'm really kind of building my confidence around. The surprise will come on the pitch because it's all very well telling those players, those superstar players who've been there and done it, that they're in for one hell of a game against us. It's all very well telling them about how good Andy Robertson's been but do you really think that I don't know. Do you really think that, that that those players are sat there worried about that in those um, in those tactical sessions? I'm not so sure. I don't think it'll hit the Madrid players until we've shown up. That's why I want a fast start because I think you know I want that shock and awe that that blows their game apart. That their manager's going spare about because he's prepared for this. But those players have been. Too lackadaisical, too carefree, too ah, uh, you know, it's 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 only Liverpool. 
don't believe I've just said it's only Liverpool, <laughs> but but that's what I want them to think. Do you know what I mean? I want them to have that that casual attitude, yeah. um, that, that that they're a cut above, and then we'll knock the block off. Yeah, I think that that first twenty minutes against Roma in the in the first leg, where I wouldn't say Roma were dominating us, but they certainly had an edge in terms of possession. They were creating half chances here and there. I think that's instructive to me because I think they were knackered after that. I think Roma absolutely exhausted because this that was the level that they had to go to to stop Liverpool from doing what they wanted to do. And as soon as Liverpool got to grips with the fact that they were trying to stop them and they realised that Roma were knackered, that's when they turned it on and scored the five in 50 minutes. And I think I can see a similar scenario next week. They might they might score first, Real, um, and then think, oh, actually, it is only Liverpool. And then they'll try and score the second and the third. And that's the point where we think, great, we've got them then. Yeah, because I, I, then they'll underrest status and then they'll leave gaps. I, I think that the, the manager may well be putting forward a plan where he's selling to the players like, this is how you stop Liverpool and then this is how we go from there. But I just don't think his players necessarily will be that arsed about stopping Liverpool. I'm not necessarily sure they'll have the fear that if they got on the phone to Manchester City players now, if they got on the phone to, to Roma players, if they got on the phone to to many of the teams who've left in our wake this season, you know, I think they'd be getting a different story. But I'm, I'm not sure that the, subconsciously it's going to hit home enough for them until they're on the pitch. Until you know Jordan Henderson stood over one of them, you know, and that's 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 what I'm hanging my hat on really. That the shock and awe isn't necessarily within the preparation; it's in the mental preparation of the players on the pitch. I think we're all muting them, possibly taking a more, if you like, slightly Italian approach to the game. Um, which I think then you have to look at the fact that it's only one leg and who that benefits more. And I think Liverpool have been very good at taking each game and it's as an individual encounter all season. So I think the fact that we blow Roma, we blow Porto away in one game, um, shows that we're not we're not looking at it like, you know, we've got to we've got to leave something in the tank for next week or we've got half an eye on next week or the return leg. Whereas I think Madrid do operate a little bit more in that in that mindset. And I, I just wonder from their point of view if, if if we are saying that they might take that approach, whether they try and get us to extra time because they look at the lack of options we've actually got. Fundamentally, we've only got one senior substitution in Lalana, and they've got Benzema um, and a few others who they can they can call on. So, I wonder if they are taking that kind of pragmatism is the is the the wrong word because it's it's not really pragmatism if you if you're trying to play a certain way to get a team to to go beyond ninety minutes. I wonder whether they're, they're trying to take that approach to try and get us to beyond 90 minutes to try and tire us out um, and then they'll look at trying winning the game that way or they'll chance their arm on penalties I think from our point of view I am really interested in I think you'll see a lot of what encapsulates our approach in Ronaldo. so I think if you look at Ronaldo when he comes on against Roma and he's the third man run straight away and he's breaking lines and that's how we start opening them up that shows clearly our intention when that substitution's made Klopp's seen where we need to improve in the game he, see, he sees how we need to attack better I think if Ronaldo is doing some kind of auxiliary right winger slash cover of right back job to to help with Marcelo in the first half, 
then I think we're t- taking a slightly more conservative approach to it or we're playing with more of an eye on them than, than going and blowing them away 3-0. I don't know. But that, that interests me to see how Wijnaldum sets up. Are we all excited? Massively excited. Ma- we're going to win the Champions League. You excited? The nerves are just, yeah, they're shredded already. And I'm, I'm, try- I'm trying to keep it... I'm, I, I, know, I, I hear myself in conversations, like on this pod or should we mates and I'm contradicting myself all the time because I'm trying to keep a level head on it you know what I mean I'm, I'm really confident I'm really excited I can I can just I can envisage it all I mean when I was, the, the image before I've, uh, I mentioned of Jordan Henderson standing over them I mean I'm, I'm envisaging that like Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston do you know what I mean I'm imagining that kind of will you get a poster of it <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm absolutely is it, bouncing is it, off my chair but at the same time I'm trying to I'm trying to, I, I know I have to the way I manage myself the way I manage myself going into games is I have to find all the, the ways that it might not happen and what would they be thinking and what's their way home as well you know what I mean I'm, dead interested. I'm dead interested in this because everyone manages themselves differently so I ask the question of everyone all I've said to people who are Liverpool fans is is it that bad if we lose just to gauge their own opinion because to me it isn't and I keep having this conversation with myself because, like I said at the start of the show, maybe it's me maturing a little bit as a person or just being that proud of what they've done this season and um, having a real faith in, in this football team at the moment. Whereas I'd, I'd almost be a lot more worried if we were playing an FA Cup final against a slight underdog. And that sounds absolutely wild. But if we were playing a Cup final where we were expected to win, where we really needed a cup win in terms of a domestic cup to get us going to spring us into life in some way to get the manager that thing where it puts us onto the next level I'd be a lot more worried I think there was a lot more hinging on it I almost think we're kind of on this road anyway do you, but do you know if, if it doesn't happen and if we lose I um, I want it to hurt like I want it to really hurt because I remember in, in 2007 after Athens it didn't hurt me enough because for what you've just said, they were on this road anyway, and, and it feels like, you know, this is part of a, a, a journey that we're going to stay on. I was convinced. I remember walking out of um, the pub after watching that defeat and thinking and saying to, and rationalising it to people around me, saying, so we've been to two finals in three years, Rafa will get, get us there again. And that didn't happen. You know, the wheels come off and, and, and what have you. And, and I, 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 and I, I agree with that. I think Klopp can, Klopp can be a brilliant Liverpool manager for five years, but he might not make another European Cup final. Yeah. That literally is how football works. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the six or seven fellows knocking around the continent at any given moment who are being brilliant elite football managers. You know, Guardiola now hasn't been a final for six years. Is it seven years? Something like that. Now Guardiola hasn't made a final and he's brilliant at his job. You can you can be brilliant, absolutely brilliant at managing football teams and not make and not make enough European Cup finals. Ferguson didn't make enough finals, but he got, managed to get a couple of wins in the end. But he, you know, if you probably talk to him about his regrets, he didn't make enough, and he probably didn't win enough. You know, Sanz, that, you can. It's, it's gone, Stu. I, I just think that's why. That's exactly why I'm preparing myself to walk the emotional tightrope here. Do you know what I mean? Without a safety net, I'm I'm, I'm at the I'm at the point where. I am trying to manage myself. I'm trying to manage myself, but not in terms of I'll accept defeat gracefully because <laughs> I won't. I absolutely won't. But um, I, I'm all in for the I'm, I'm all in for the win. And, and if if it doesn't happen, as I say before, I know it's going to hurt. 
I'm just waiting for those dreams to start. They always have always have a dream or two or three or four. A little confession for the for the City games in the European Cup. I was on holiday and I consciously did not watch them because I, I was convinced I would ruin everyone else's holiday. You know, I've got two kids and a wife. So I just turned on my phone at full time. But I had, in my mind, gone through every scenario and I did actually think for the first leg against City, I thought it was a, a chance we could win 5 down. And I wasn't actually that surprised to see three. And I went, oh, yeah, I thought this could happen. I'll definitely watch next Saturday. But <laughs> every, well, every, every, every discipline every, of not wanting to ruin the rest of your family's holiday. Yeah, I'd, I'd said, fuck those well, losers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially after the Christmas. Um, it's just, I will have a dream every single day this week and I'll have different results going through my mind. But I'm left with the idea, and I've, obviously I've written about... Lionel Messi, and therefore I've written quite a lot about Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, his numbers this season are fantastic, but they don't tell the story of what Cristiano Ronaldo is now offering Real Madrid, which is not much work. He's not like he's running around closing everyone down, whereas we've got three guys, I was about to say the F word, but I'm not going to do it. We've got three guys who do it up front. Salah, Mane, Firmino, they just hassle and Harry and Harry. And you talk about extra time, or I think was it you talking about extra time, Dan? I think extra time would suit us because they're an ageing team. The, the youth is in odd players. Like, I think Casemiro is still quite young. But Bale and Ronaldo, you're talking 29 and 33. Uh, Modric is in his 30s. Cruz is an old 28. Uh, Sergio Ramos, if he hasn't been sent off by that stage, he's in his mid-30s as well. God, I sound positive, don't I? I don't know what's happened to me. Um, but, yeah... If it goes to extra time, I think our youth, which is a really vibrant youth as well. I mean, these are guys who know what they're doing every single day and they will keep running and running and running. That's what Jurgen Klopp asks of every single one of his footballers. Can you run? Can you run 11, 12, 13 kilometres for me today? And they say yes, and they'll do it. I think just on the overall culture of it, I think the identity is big in terms of, you know, it's the first European Cup final in 10 years and we know how rare they can be when we go through dark times like we have. And I think there's a there's a demographic of Liverpool fans who never even lived Athens. And now they get to stand on the cop and they get to feel part of Liverpool's European history after this year. And I think that's massively important because it can dent your spirit a little bit if you're constantly getting told about yesteryear and how good it was. And the thing that you're watching isn't as good. And, and I think that they get to wave the flags, they get to sing the songs of, of Europe and, and they get to have their own version of that now. And I think that that is massively important to us punching our way going forward as a club collectively. And I mean that just not just in terms of the fan base, I mean in terms of everyone working for the club. There's people who, you know, if you look at the club staff and structure from now since Athens, even as, as far down as, you know, canteen staff or whatever, then that's massively turned around. Everyone gets to feel like they're part of a European superpower club. And... It's only through living these experiences that you can do that. There's only so much you can talk about. Okay. Um, huge thank you uh, to Sanj, to Stu, uh, finally made it, and to Dan uh, for this one, and Tony as well for chatting to us about Salad and his documentary that he's worked on. Do try and watch it if you can. 
uh, it is a hell of a week on the Anfield wrap. We've got endless amounts of content for you. I've been planning it, working it all out. It's going to be four or five shows on Friday, Thursday, four or five shows on Friday, shows right the way through the week. We've got a chat coming up with Clive Tilsley that I went to his house to do, which was fantastic. Uh, we've got a, we've got everything, every sort of type of preview. Each of our shows is doing an individual preview. If you only listen to the free shows, uh, there's a review that's going to be coming out for free, courtesy of Red Bet this week, which will be previewing uh, the final tactically. Uh, we're also hoping to speak to a wide variety of different people to come through. If you don't subscribe now is a fantastic time to do so it's five pounds a month to subscribe to the Anfield app it's the week's build up to the biggest game of quite possibly this decade for Liverpool Football Club the biggest game of the decade Uh, come and enjoy it with us Uh, thanks to everyone thanks to Redsbeth for supporting the Anfield app this year thanks to you for listening my word how on earth are we all meant to sleep Sports Social Podcast Network